You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. We're going to talk all about the policy prescriptions of the Biden administration. We're not going to hear any more about Operation Warp Speed. They're going to be calling it the COVID response. We're talking right now about 2024 jockeying amongst Republicans. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. Who do you think Biden has to watch in terms of moderate defectors? The House has been voting for this stimulus package basically for months. Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. President Joe Biden says that 90% of American adults will be able to get a vaccine in just three weeks, plus a preview of his infrastructure plan. That's coming midweek. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. I am accompanied by Bloomberg Politics and Policy contributor Jeannie Sean Zeno, as well as Boyd Matheson. Boyd is the former chief of staff uh, to Republican Senator uh, Mike Lee of Utah, and he is now the host of KSL News Radio's Inside Sources as well. We begin tonight with the big story, story, which is President Biden urged Americans to not let up on COVID-19, just as he was delivering remarks earlier from the White House, in which he said that 90 percent of U.S. adults will be eligible to get a COVID-19 vaccine in just three weeks. The president added that his administration will more than double the number of pharmacies where shots are available, even as cases begin to rise. Take a take a listen to the sound on the shots from President Biden. The war against COVID-19 is far from won. This is deadly serious. We share the sentiment of Dr. Walensky, the head of the Center for Disease Control and and Prevention. The CDC expressed earlier today, this is not a time to lessen our efforts. Now is not the time to celebrate. It is time to do what we do best as a country, our duty, our jobs, take care of one another and fight this to the finish. The president went on to urge local leaders to reinstate the mask mandate. Here's the sound of the mask mandate. I'm reiterating my call for every governor, mayor and local leader to maintain and reinstate the mask mandate. Please, this is not politics. Reinstate the mandate if you let it down. 
But the developments in terms of the policy were quite optimistic. Again, just to reiterate that 90 percent of U.S. adults will be able to get or will be eligible rather to get a COVID-19 vaccine in three weeks. And the administration is more than doubling the number of pharmacies where shots are available. He went on to say that nearly all U.S. adults will be able to get a shot within five miles of their home. Jeannie Shanzano, I mean, it, it, it's interesting to hear the, the sound on his speech compared to the bullet points and the developments and the news that our colleague Josh Wingrove reported on the Bloomberg Terminal, because all of the, the developments on the policy front seem very positive. They do. And, you know, as you were just playing that sound and reiterating what the president said, I I think we all have to take a step back and say how remarkable it is that Mm. we are where we are a year after the pandemic started, a little more than a year. The idea that all adult Americans um, would be able to to be vaccinated within five miles of their home at a pharmacy. Obviously, you know, it's not going to be 100 percent coverage for certain, but that is remarkable. And you compare where we are compared to a place like the EU. And we have been very focused, we meaning the United States and both administrations, on getting us to this point. So I, I think that is to the credit of the United States and the government. That said, um, it is interesting to hear the president calling again for, you know, the mask mandates to be reinstated as the weather gets nice. I think it's getting very, very tough for people with more people vaccinated to understand. And I think they need to be clear on this message, why we have to do that. And I think he's trying to fight an uphill battle here, um, but we'll see what happens. Well, I think, you know, as we've talked about on this program, no one wants to have in the United States have what what happened in, in parts of Europe where they had additional lockdowns and, and whatnot. And, you know, I think it's important, of course, to check in on that. But at the same time, I mean, you know, anyone can get a shot. 90% of adults are going to be eligible to get a shot in just three weeks. The weather's nice, Boyd. <laughs> Here in D.C. over the weekend, 17th Street was reopened. I mean, it was nice, Boyd. I mean, can we can't we at least bask in the glow of some optimism? Can I be optimistic, Boyd? You, you can be optimistic for sure, uh, as long as you keep your faith in the American people as opposed to the politics. and my mask on. Yeah, with your mask on, you should be able to do that just fine. And uh, and the interesting thing too is, uh, you know, there are a lot of places that are doing incredibly well. Uh, Utah happens to be one of those, and, and it is beautiful here today, too, by the way. You should come out this way if you want a little uh, sunshine and, uh, yep. and fresh air. Uh, but we're also okay. way ahead of the curve <laughs> uh, in, in, in terms of uh, when, when the president said, uh, you know, we're going to have a website and uh, people are going to be eligible in May and hopefully you can have a, a barbecue in July. Uh, Utah was already there. We already uh, had things going. We already had things all the way open up for anyone who wanted a shot could sign up to get one. Uh, and so I do think it's really important that we we keep the principles of federalism in place here, uh, that we remember that these laboratories of democracy are are better at adapting and adjusting what needs to be done uh, in order to, to keep things in check. And uh, so we're, we're doing things really well and, and very swiftly here in the state of Utah. Uh, other places are doing well. Other places are doing less well. Um, but the important thing is that we give that control uh, just a sweeping mask mandate from dc i don't think it's going to cut it especially as the uh, the sun starts to come out and uh, the barbecues start to fire up let me uh no i agree it's it, it's almost barbecue season Cyril's grills christine barada <laughs> our executive producer that's what she calls me anyway i uh let me grab these numbers on my term i wrote them down here they are 
Okay, so the U.S. is on pace to soon administer 3 million doses a day of COVID-19 vaccine as the supply genie increases and states widen eligibility. New York, the headline crossed my terminal this afternoon, just uh, uh, boosted their their eligibility uh as well earlier today for folks over 30. After stalling at about 2.5 million doses a day, the rate of shots administered in the U.S. genie has started to again climb on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday over the weekend. The U.S. reported a total of more than 10 million shots in arms, a record three-day stretch that helped push up the average rate, according to the Bloomberg vaccine tracker. I've got sounds on the number of shots from President Biden. He spoke earlier this afternoon. Take a listen to the sound on the shots from President Biden. The amount of vaccines that are going to be available for vaccination sites will be a new record. 33 million doses of vaccine this week. Professor Zeno, look, I mean, I, I know we've got to praise the government officials, both parties, Operation Warp Speed, Biden administration. But this is also a, a massive victory for the private sector, as well as scientists and, and folks who are not uh, serving in government. Right. It is. And, and they the private sector has come through in a way um, that, you know, I don't think we could have hoped or imagined 11 months ago or 12 months ago. So absolutely, they should be applauded. And the, the, the way that they have worked with the, the public sector is incredibly impressive. But I don't want to rain on your and Boyd's picnics here as oh, we come, come on, into Jeannie. the spring. I'm Professor sorry. <laughs> and I have to say, I feel I, like I'm asking the teacher for no homework. <laughs> and I, I love when Boyd quotes Louis Brandeis and Laboratories of Democracy, but I think we need to go back and we need to be very clear on why the president and the administration are making this push for mask mandates and others at the federal level. I am in New York, as you know, and New York and New Jersey have the highest rates of infection in the country. You know, a day ago, the report was we were averaging about 548 cases for every 100,000 residents and only surpassed by by New Jersey. So while there there is obviously a differential across the states, and I appreciate that. We also have to remember there are still variants here and there's still the potential for spread. And so I do I think we need to appreciate. I'm sorry, I don't want to be, you know, so, you know, a Debbie Downer here. But I think we have to appreciate why the president is being so, um, you know, emphatic about the mask mandates. Well, and other I, said precautions. It, I said it a couple months ago. I'll say it again. You know, if it's snowing in Alaska doesn't mean that Florida gets a snow day. You following me? But I do hear your point, and I think it's why Raquel Walensky, the head of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, pleaded, did you, did you see this? Pleaded with Americans to wear masks and stick with COVID-19 mitigation measures, warning of, quote, impending doom, end quote, as cases, hospitalizations, and deaths, again, unfortunately, did begin to rise. So we got these dueling headlines, which was just remarkable. I was talking to my, my colleague, Josh Winger, on the White House team about this earlier today. On the one hand, you've got President Biden with some great policy news. 90% of the population in America will be eligible for a vaccine. With, to, and to get a vaccine, just as importantly, within five miles of where they live. Um, and then at the same time, the head of the CDC, you know, talking about, quote, impending doom, end quote, uh, if, if folks, you know, don't don't take these precautions uh, safely coming up, we're going to talk about the economics of this. But, boy, I'll give you the final word here in terms of uh, just that that sense of 
hearing from the CDC in which she says that there could be impending doom quickly in just 30 seconds. Yeah, and I, and I do think it's important to recognize to Jeannie's point that, yeah, government has a role in this to be sure. Let's make no mistake about it. Uh, and it is a, a tag team. And the American people have uh, a duty to be responsible. So I, I do agree we shouldn't be spiking the football. Uh, but I'm also very optimistic that the American people can do the right thing in the right way. Uh, but that always is going to start in our own homes and our own neighborhoods and communities. Uh, and Americans can step up and do that. We've seen them do it before, and uh, we have to have confidence that they'll do yeah. it again. Well, can't spike the football, but maybe you can take a football, go outside, and if you're socially distant, you can wear a mask and gloves and toss it. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Much more with the panel. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, accompanied by Bloomberg Policy Contributor Jeannie Shanzano and Boyd Matheson, former chief of staff to Senator Mike Lee. We were talking earlier about the pandemic. Now let's pivot to infrastructure. Did you see this? President Joe Biden is expected to unveil Jeannie his infrastructure plan on Wednesday in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Now I was thinking about this in the prep work where back in 2015, I know it seems like forever ago. Nearly six years ago, Labor Day weekend, then former vice president, or no, he was the vice president at the time, uh, Joe Biden, appeared at a Labor Day parade in where else? Pittsburgh. Remember this, Jeannie? And he marched in the parade with the union workers and the union members. He's got a long story with Pittsburgh. And it was at a time in which then former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton had all but locked up the nomination. And people were wondering if Biden was going to challenge Clinton back in 2016. And he ultimately decided not to do it. And he waited uh, four more years. But Jeannie, I mean, I think of that because it's clearly at, in, back, back in 2015 and, and now in 2021, nearly six years later, uh, he is thinking of the coalition that he will need to advance infrastructure which is going to be working class manufacturing supporters and union unions in particular. Jeannie. 
You're right. And and I do remember that very, very well. And he wants to make the case. He's He's been saying this certainly throughout this campaign and administration, if not years, as you mentioned, that when he talks about this massive infrastructure bill that he wants to put forward, it is first and foremost to reimagine the U.S. economy for workers, for the middle class. And he talks a lot, as you know, firsthand about bringing back this idea of respect for work. And so I do think the choice of Pittsburgh is not lost on any of us. You know, I also think we have to remember there's some cynicism here because as Bill Maher said the other day, there's been an infrastructure week in this country every year for the last decade, if not longer. Mm. And so it gets to the point where people start to say, are you going to be able to make this happen? And he's got one, maybe two, they're saying today, shots at reconciliation. But if he starts to add, I believe, more into this bill than just what people define as infrastructure in a colloquial sense, I think that's where it's going to be very difficult to get even some moderate Democrats behind this. Well, I don't know how you're going to pay for $3 trillion of a plan and not come out and say, how you're going to pay for it. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked about this. And uh, and she was asked saying that the infrastructure plan would include ways to pay for any spending. Take a listen to the sound on the spending from Psaki. The president will be laying out the first of two equally critically critical packages to rebuild our economy and create better paying jobs for American workers. He'll talk this week about investments we need to make in domestic manufacturing, R&D, the caregiving economy, and infrastructure. I mean, Boy Matheson, in your Republican neck of the woods, can you find me one Republican? Name me a Republican who would back $3 trillion worth of spending. Yeah, and if, and if anybody believes that there's a, a way to pay for those $3 trillion, uh, to avoid the pun, uh, I do have a bridge I could tell you. Uh, it, it's just not reality. And uh, and I think that's the biggest challenge. The, the interesting thing is that there are a lot of Republicans who absolutely agree that we need to do a boatload of work on the infrastructure. Uh, but it, to Jeannie's point, if we start adding in all of these things that are not related to it, uh, it unravels very, very fast. Uh, and so if we're talking about steel and concrete and roads and uh, doing things that actually will make a difference for the American people, will create those kind of jobs, I think you could get uh, the rarity of some bipartisan work together. Uh, but just as we saw in the stimulus package, when you start throwing in all kinds of things, uh, including in the stimulus package, uh, bailouts for several of those unions uh, that uh, were having uh, struggles, uh, that's going to be a problem. That's not going to make its way through uh, the Senate and get to the president's desk. Well, I mean, even beyond that, I think I was speaking, who was it? Congressman Warren Davidson, a Republican from Ohio, uh, and he said exactly the same thing. I mean, here's a member of the Freedom Caucus, and um, and and he was very much, you know, saying, "How, how are you going to pay for for three trillion dollars?" Here's another infrastructure story. Did you see this, Jeannie? The the Suez Canal, the Ever Direct, finally got moved. Do you know how? Do you know how big that that uh, boat that got stuck in the Suez Canal is, Jeannie Zeno? This is. This is a this is what do you have like a pop quiz for Professor Zeno? How many feet? I have no idea. Like twenty five football fields. I have no idea, Kevin Sterling. It is longer than the Empire State Building. Wow. I didn't realize a boat could be that big. 
Here I am thinking it's just like a sailboat that got knocked over. It's taller than the Empire State Building. How much cargo? Another pop quiz. 20 seconds left, Professor Zeno was Please on Please give ship. this one to Boyd. No, no, it's you. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, how much cargo? 25 tons. $1 billion. I'm telling you, really, this is Bloomberg. <laughs> Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 11.30, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. We're going to keep talking about infrastructure as Noah Smith is set to join us. My name is Kevin Cerulli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio with my pal, Professor Jeannie Shanzino, Bloomberg policy uh, contributor. Jeannie, I got to keep talking about this Suez Canal story because I'm obsessed. I mean, I don't know if this was the story I was geeking out over over all week. And it finally came to a dramatic conclusion. The week-long saga, I'm in my terminal, to dislodge a giant container ship stuck in the Suez Canal reached an end Monday as the vessel was freed and traffic resumed through the vital waterway. Authorities expected operations to return to normal within days. Hundreds of vessels carrying everything from oil to livestock to Ikea furniture were forced to wait in line after the Ever Given, that was the name of the boat, the Ever Given became stuck in the canal. Jeannie, were you were you as obsessed with the story as I was? I was, and I, I didn't know the facts the way you do in terms of how the cargo and the amount and the size, but I was, I think, primarily because the idea in this day and age that one boat, one ship could sort of wreak all this havoc and have the potential of upending oil markets and other things is absolutely astonishing to me. And I think for me, as we move into infrastructure week, um, it really does raise questions about sort of this sort of, uh, you know, for, sort of um, way that we do business across the world, not just in the United States, and how much of it is dependent on our ability to move these goods, move these supplies. And one thing like this could really upend markets in a very real way. It, I think it's fascinating. I was struck by this, folks. If you're in your car and you're way, on your way home from work, here's a little fast fact for you when you look up at the moon tonight. Salvage teams use the tides and a full moon to pull the ship from deep inside the sandy bank it had smashed into last week amid high winds and poor visibility. So they literally, that to me was so fascinating that they utilized the moon, Jeannie. Yeah, wait, where's the technology? This is what I mean. Right. Some of this well, just sounds like. Sometimes the answers are in the stars. <laughs> they are, I guess. Sometimes this just sounds very sort of old school, and it, that's what I think has really captured so much attention to it. All right. Well, the answers also are sometimes in Noah Smith's Bloomberg Opinion columns. He's got this great column, and he's on the phone with us. Noah, thanks for joining us on Infrastructure. Biden retools the U.S. economy with infrastructure. President Joe Biden's next major legislative initiative, Noah writes, is called an infrastructure bill. But it's actually something bigger. It's about transforming the nation to better fit the needs of our future economy. In other words, industrial policy. But Noah, can we afford it? Oh, yeah, we can afford it. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, some of this stuff is stuff that we don't need to raise taxes for at all. 
you know, if you just uh, if you just borrow to um, you know to to build things like solar power, national grid, charging stations for EVs, stuff like that, you know, it's going to pay itself back eventually. But then there's other things, you know, in lots of industrial policies you do need taxes for. But either way, we can afford it. No, it's so good to talk to you. And what a, what a great piece this is. I was so happy when they said we could, I was going to be able to talk to you because one thing I've been fascinated by, and you address this to a certain extent, is that apparently Joe Biden met with historians not that long ago and talked about sort of, you know, his, you know, who is he going to model himself after? And some of the talk was, of course, FDR. Um, and you talk a bit about Eisenhower and when, you know, you read the transformative nature of what you're talking about, it really does harken back to an FDR or an Eisenhower. So could you talk a little bit about the, the massive scope of what he intends to do if, if he's able to get it through Congress? Yeah, so basically, there's just a whole lot of moving parts to this initiative. And the goal, I mean, usually we think of infrastructure just kind of, rate, you know, repairing the roads and bridges and things like that. And that is in there. But there's a lot more that's in there, too. Uh, for example, there's a big uh, expansion of child care. So the b- people in the Biden administration really believe that care jobs, you know, essentially taking care of kids, old people and sick people are going to provide a large percentage of employment in the future because that's something robots can't do. And so this big uh, you know, expansion of child care not only helps bring women into the workforce because uh, women's labor force participation has been declining, but would also sort of move us toward this mass employment you know, care jobs uh, kind of stuff. <laughs> There's so that's a you know that's a big deal right there. There's also um, a lot of stuff for refurbishing existing infrastructure and building new infrastructure. So instead of just repairing the roads and bridges we've got, we're going to build you know a national electrical grid. We're going to build a system of electric vehicle charging stations so we can quickly switch to electric cars, and then we're going to refit buildings so that they you know, are more energy efficient and they, they switch to more modern power sources and things like that. So there's a lot of new infrastructure stuff. And then there's stuff about, you know, uh, reshoring supply chains uh, into America and rebuilding this industrial commons that I think falls directly under the purview of kind of classic industrial policy, government promoting, uh, you know, specific industries and in specific places. I think it's a really smart column, and, and I wish I had more time, but you've got to go check it out. It's on the Bloomberg Terminal. Noah Smith, Bloomberg Opinion Columnist, he goes on to write about how uh, the United States uh, similarly pushed for similar policies back during the Russian Cold War, and he writes that it's not as big a risk as the first time the U.S. tried this approach uh, because uh, the, we got better transportation, more housing, cheaper energy, more research, and more education. These were all of the successes during the Cold War. Biden isn't so much charting a course into the unknown as tweaking a tried and true approach. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. 
Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, accompanied by Professor Jeannie Sean Zeno, Bloomberg Politics and Policy contributor. Jeannie, I don't know. I'm still optimistic off of all this good news with the pandemic era ending. Did you see this article? I think it was the Washington Post. I sent it to my mother. I said, Mom, it's going to be the roaring 20s again. Everyone's starting to compare the post-pandemic. I know we're not out of it yet. I know. Don't tweet at me, trolls. But it, it, that it's it's going to be like the 20s when this thing's over, Jeannie. I got to... I don't know what that means. I'm not really good at fashion, as I've been told. But uh, maybe I'll – I don't know. I don't, I don't even – I can't even finish that line. But it's going to be the roaring 20s. I, I, I love the fashion. I hope we don't end up in a, in a depression the way we did after the roaring 20s. Jeannie, just... way to bring me down. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kevin. And I hope, I hope your mom was very excited. Chicky, right? Is that her yeah, name? Yeah, that's my mom's yeah. name. So we love the legendary. her. The legendary. So, no, the fashion is great. I've heard this analogy, of course, over and over again, right? Because the Spanish flu, people are pent up. They want to get out. They want to celebrate. And, and, of course, I want to, too. But we have to listen to the president and be cautious, Kevin Cirilli. I'm like a bull behind the gate. Let me out. <laughs> I'm, I'm frightened. Go. I'm of D.C. I'm frightened. Oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Chicky sent me. That's my mom, folks. She sent me... Uh, Easter bread from my favorite South Philly bakery last week. It's already gone. I told Taylor Riggs I got to go on a longer run. Anyway, big story on the Bloomberg, or actually in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend. I'm sure you saw this, Jeannie, but the new trade representative, Catherine Tai, she is the U.S. trade representative, Catherine Tai. She says that the United States is not ready to lift China tariffs. In her first interview since her Senate confirmation, Ms. Tai said she recognized that the tariffs can exact a toll on U.S. businesses and consumers, though proponents have said that they also helped shield companies from subsidized foreign competition. She's told the journal, quote, I have heard people say, please just take these tariffs off. But yanking off tariffs, she warned, could harm the economy unless changes communicated in a way so that the actors in the economy can make adjustments. Wow, Jeannie Sean Zeno. Big news. And one thing that struck me when I read that was that there is a way in which there is a big difference in terms of the rhetoric from the Biden administration and not just in terms of Catherine Tai, but I'm thinking also Anthony Blinken this weekend, I believe it was, making the case that regardless or at this point, there is no thought of, of, you know, sort of pushback against China for any any role it played in COVID. And he sort of walked that back on CNN over the weekend or, or you know, sort of said he wouldn't he didn't want to engage in that. And so, you know, there is a, some 
ways in which we see rhetorical differences between the Trump administration and the Biden administration, and yet on the straight-off policy, some of those differences are not coming to fruition, and, you know, the the prince in Saudi Arabia is a good example of that. Well, precisely. And then you've got this other story uh, on the Bloomberg. China hits U.S.-Canada with sanctions and Xinjiang fallout, a quarrel over allegations of human rights abuses in China continued as Beijing announced retaliatory sanctions on individuals in the U.S. and Canada and the corporate fallout spread. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you've got uh, uh, all of these uh, back and forths going on, but the United States is, is not bending. Uh, and it, it looks like the Com- Communist Party of China is starting to react to that. Yes. And again, um, you know, you have Blinken out there. He is, uh, you know, somebody who obviously has been around a long time, knows these players, arguably a secretary of state we haven't had in the modern era who knows the president he is working for better than this one and who is closer to him. And so what happens vis-a-vis China, I think, is still a big question. One thing we do know so far is they were putting a lot of stock in alliances and relationships. But beyond that, again, the cold policy of this, I'm not clear how it's going to differ, if at all, yet from what Trump was doing. Well, do you think, I don't think it's going to. I mean, and even there is another report in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend just about the pressure that U.S. businesses, and Bloomberg has chronicled this as well, uh, the pressure that U.S. businesses are going to start to feel about making a choice. Are you going to stand with democratic values and not the political party, democracy values, uh, or communism values, or as the Blinken State Department has um, uh, characterized it, uh, democracies versus autocracies, Jeannie? Yes, and and talk about an issue of political risk that is staring these organizations and corporations, public and private, down, you know, looking at them, looming far ahead. I I think it was somebody called it boat spotting, right? You're supposed to be able to spot those risk boats coming down. And this is one of them if they are going to be called on to make a, a choice and, you know, from my my perspective, I think that may hit you know consumer facing industries in a way it may not fit hit others because of course they are the ones whom if the public latches onto this could really retaliate against them. I think that's a bit down the pike, but I think it is something they're going to have to keep in mind. And it's not just organizations. Look at you know what the pipeline in Germany. Um, you know, as the United States uh, once again under the Biden administration is not keen on this 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 pipeline and is asking. Germany to do something that many Germans are starting to, you know, push up against. It's it's really remarkable. The United States, uh, as just last weekend again over the Xinjiang uh, province region, has accused China of targeting companies in a state-led social media campaign against companies that are are moving out of the Xinjiang province because of those human rights abuses. You know. Uh, you mentioned Bill Maher at the top of the show. A friend of mine, actually, over the weekend, I was at Milano and was telling me about uh, Christopher Krebs, who was on Bill Maher. I don't know if you watched it, uh, but he, of course, is the former director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Um, he was the official, mind you, who in the Trump administration uh, – declared the 2020 election the most secure in American history and then got fired by now former President Trump. Uh, But he talked about just cybersecurity as a whole 
and cryptocurrency and again it's a thread that we've covered on this program but he not just talked about he not only talked about russia but also china and how there are no rules of the road at all so I did not see that episode, but it is. Um, I, I'm. I, I love Bill Maher. I'm going to go back and watch it. Um, and this I'll is something. I'll text you it. Yeah, text it to me, yeah. please. Um, this is something that, of course, we're hearing an awful lot about in D.C. these days because, of course, Biden still has to make an appointment there, and people are starting to say, you know, we are sitting ducks essentially as we have no, you know, lead um, cybersecurity um, expert in in place in terms of the administration. Administration, they still have to go through Senate confirmation. And so that's a very real threat. Um, I'm going to send you a clip, Kevin, because his rant about U.S.-China relations the other day is one that is really, really worth watching as well. I think folks are starting to, to pick up on it in the mainstream press, personally, just in, for my little perch here in Washington, D.C. I do think that, that more mainstream outlets are, are starting to cover it, just even beyond the business side of it, but also the human rights abuses. And, and I think it's, it's going to be the narrative to watch. I, I'm, I'm, I truly believe that. You know, when you've got China consumers threatening to boycott H&M and Nike uh, and, they're, and businesses are now caught in a bind. You know, and Beijing and the West are hardening their stances on the crackdowns in the Xinjiang province. I keep bringing it up, but I think it bears repeating the NBA. Will the U.S. Olympic National Committee follow the NBA's uh, actions or lack thereof uh, with business decisions and and what happened in China when the boycott happened, Jeannie? I think it's. You know, that's the one to watch. It's one to watch. And you had a guest on, I think it was last week, who made the case maybe we should go there and not sort of step back, which I thought was a fascinating yeah. argument as well. Well, I, it's funny because I, I told that story to a friend over the weekend. I said, you know, look, you've got Colin Kaepernick taking the knee and launching a, a national conversation about race relations in the United States. What if that same thing were to happen? When U.S. athletes go to Beijing, it was a remarkable point that Lester Munson, the former uh, senior advisor to now former chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, Bob Corker, made uh, to us last week. And, you know, we'll see what happens. But uh, that conversation is only only going to continue. March is Women's History Month and Bloomberg Radio is looking back at some of those who have played a vital role in American history. Here with today's installment is Bloomberg's Renita Young. On this day in women's history in 1993, Catherine Kalbeck becomes the first woman elected as premier in Canada. She led Prince Edward Island and was among female pioneers in Canadian politics. Despite growing up hearing politics was not a place for women, Kalbeck successfully ran for office in the House of Commons in 1974, serving for four years. For a decade after that, Kalbeck worked in her family's hardware, building, furniture and appliances business, returning to politics in 1988. Although two other women reached premier status before her through party or legislative selection, Colbeck was unique because she became the first woman in Canada elected premier in a general election. That's Today in Women's History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio. And coming up all week, we are going to continue to talk infrastructure, every development coming out of President Biden's uh, administration. Thanks to my friend, my pal, my Bloomberg policy contributor, Professor Jeannie Shanzano for hanging out with me this hour. And I'm Kevin Cerulli. This is Bloomberg.
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.